A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Today we've got a great malicious compliance story against some interrogating cops. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, I organized a rebellion against the professor in my political science class. This was about 10 plus years ago when I'd returned to the local university to finish my bachelor's degree in political science. The preface, I was a non-traditional student, so I was a little older and a little more willing to question things. I was taking a 3000 level political science course, so it was designed for poli-sci majors and was required for my poli-sci degree. It was a fairly basic political science course, but the professor did some weird things. Specifically, there was a quiz every class over the assigned reading. These quizzes made up a significant part of the grade. But here's the tricky part. He seemed to be doing some sort of experiment with the wisdom of crowds. The setup, the correct answer for a quiz question was the answer that was given by the most students in the class. A plurality, whether it was based in fact or not. Whatever the most students said was the answer was the correct answer. For example... If the question was, what year was the U.S. Constitution ratified? Even though the factually correct answer would be 1789, if the majority of people chose 1776, then 1776 was the right answer and you got credit for your answer. If you chose 1789, you were wrong and didn't get credit. This forced you to make a decision, try to be factually accurate or try to figure out what the crowd was going to do and go with that. Neither guaranteed you a correct answer. The majority of the time, the majority of students would actually choose the factually correct answer. But if it was a common misconception, or the question was poorly worded, then that could lead to a situation where the crowd was wrong. But here's what drove me nuts. I was not willing to make my grade dependent on whatever the other students thought might be the correct answer. My grade became dependent on conforming to what the crowd said was true. I had no real control over my grade, since the wisdom of the crowd could be anything. A class of 30 students was probably not a large enough crowd to give you a good example of the wisdom of crowds. Learning the material was not the point. Conforming to the crowd was what got you a good grade. Cue malicious compliance and rebellion. I figured out that if we all agree to choose the same answer for every question, then we could all guarantee ourselves a perfect score on the quiz. In reality, I only needed a plurality of people to go along with my plan. As long as I could muster enough votes for an answer, then we could control our destiny. It didn't matter if A was the correct answer or not. If we controlled the votes, we controlled our grades and anyone who didn't go with us, they were going to fail regardless of if their answer was actually correct or not. I met everyone at the door to the classroom and explained the plan. For every question, we are going to choose the first option. If it's multiple choice, it's option A. If it's true or false, we are choosing true. If we all agree to this, then we can all get perfect scores. If you decide to go against us, your answer will be wrong. The first class we did this, the professor figured out after a few questions that we were gaming the system. He had us redo the quiz and graded us on the factually correct answers. After the second class we did this, the professor changed the rules. There were two answers that would get you full points. The factually correct answer and whatever answer the majority agreed upon. Results? In the end, I was okay with this arrangement. 
I could study and give the correct answer without being penalized for not conforming to the crowd thinking. Or if I made the same mistake as the majority of people, then I still got credit for it and it was a good discussion point for the class. Yes, I got an A in the class. I'm not sure if the professor ever figured out who organized the rebellion, but I did end up working with him in grad school and we got along just fine. Afterward, I always wondered, did he do this to teach us about the power of grassroots organizing? It might not have been his intention, but he turned me into a leader, even though I never wanted to be one. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. I organized a campaign to overthrow bad leadership and we created a new regime where truth and discourse were both valued. And we learned that a plurality of voters can determine the path forward, even if they are not the majority. P.S. The whole scheme was flawed and subject to the tyranny of the majority. I'm not sure how he didn't see this. Seems pretty basic to me. Or maybe he was trying to teach us about game theory. I never did figure that out. And let's be honest, if you knew the right answer, trying to figure out what the majority of people would do is a losing proposition. You knew the answer. So trying to figure out how the majority of people could get a question wrong forced you to think opposite to what got you to the correct answer in the first place. And us saying if you didn't go with us, your answer would be wrong was not 100% accurate, but close enough. In a sense, we were randomizing the correct answers, so anyone who wasn't going along with our plan could really only hope for 25-30% to correct answers, assuming that the distribution of factual answers was random. I'm not gonna lie, this might be one of the dumbest teaching strategies I have ever heard of in my life. I've been in some classes where they use a different kind of learning method or a teaching method and I've hated those, but this weird majority plurality thing? I don't know if it's supposed to be some part of a greater commentary, but it would be a nightmare if you actually studied, knew your stuff, came back and realized there could be 15 kids who do not care in this class and they alone hold the answer that I have to suss out in order to get an A in this class. Also hi, I'm Steven and if you guys enjoy awesome stories of malicious compliance, why not hit those like and subscribe buttons down below. That said our next story is, take my time over breakfast? Okay. Many years ago, I used to work for a SMB managed service provider as a repair technician in London. I was repairing desktops, laptops, and printers. It's pointless trying to drive in central London, so the company would reimburse us our monthly public transport ticket. As a result of this, we couldn't really carry spare parts with us like the guys with company cars elsewhere in the country, so they would get delivered to site. The usual routine was go to the office in the morning and collect the parts for the first call, then ask the store's clerk to arrange delivery of the rest of my day's calls to site in a set order. This would be the order that I'd already planned to attend to travel for the day, so the parts would get there before me and I could crack on with the first one whilst they were being delivered. 
I'd usually be on site for the first one by 9.30 and would frequently manage 6-7 to seven repairs a day. Obviously, this would depend on how much travel was involved, but all the techs would divvy up the calls first thing in the morning so that none of us were running around the city too much and we were mostly based around one area for the day. We each had regular clients where we'd often go two or three times per week and knew the IT teams involved. Anyway, the MSP gets bought by a bigger MSP. We're told not to worry. I know, right? And that nothing would be changing as we were one of the most productive regions in the business. And for a bit, it was everything as normal. Then the manager announces that he's leaving. I bumped into him about a year later at random and he said that this was due to politics. A new golden boy manager is parachuted in from Oopnurth to transform us. Apparently, we might be the most productive team, but we weren't the most profitable. He devises several methods to decrease costs and raise profitability. First off is the closure of the office and relocation of the stores to somewhere central. This is basically the other end of the country, so shipping has to be done the night before us. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Us techs are none too happy about this. Second, he wants us all to use cars, our own cars. He can't force this, as the travel ticket is written into our contracts, and he can only change the contract with our agreement. To a man, we say no. What he can do is change the shipping routine. The new process is that the parts will be delivered to a commercial locker at locations in the city, and we have to go and pick the parts up before heading to our first call. QMC. We are well aware of the performance of the new owner's chosen shipping company, and we usually reserve them the nickname UK Fail, as they never seem to hit service level agreement. Further, the lockers are located in various strange locations, on the street, petrol stations, random courier offices, kind of like how Amazon lockers are now, but without the nice paint jobs or electronic entry. They have no way to keep tabs on who is where or collecting what, aside from calling us. Anyway, there's a quick get-together and we agree that as the GB hasn't designed to help us and isn't hiring replacements for those who left, we aren't obligated to help him. The plan is no one is to attend a locker until 10.30, which is the service level agreement for parts delivery. No one is to carry more than one bag of parts. If you have to do multiple trips to a locker, so be it. No one is to pick up any slack for anyone else. Answer calls for help if someone's in trouble, though. Do what you've been assigned, if possible, and never call in to say that you finished all your calls for the day. Anything that gets left over, gets left. If you get assigned an emergency call, some clients had service level agreements that required a tech on site in a given time, usually four hours. Go there and wait for parts as usual. Communicate this to any new hires during their training days. Productivity plummets. GB calls meetings and generally loses it, but hey, we're just following his procedure, right? Within 12 months, GB is gone, 
and the new guy has the sense to ask us what would be a better way to run things. I'm not saying the way to run your business is to ask the workers what they think would work well, but it definitely doesn't hurt if you operate with a healthy understanding of what they do think might help. Our next story is, people don't understand why you're leaving early. I was working for a small-ish company, about 60 employees across several locations, IT support for both hardware, laptops, phones, and software. When I was hired, just under 9 years ago, it was verbally agreed that instead of clocking any callouts as overtime, I would just take the time in lieu. Callouts were always minimal and there were never any issues with me taking the time here and there to make up for it. Any calls in the middle of the night were quickly resolved and I had no problem getting back to sleep. Appointments in the middle of the day were fine because of the additional hours from whenever. This worked well for almost my entire time there. I also always started early, just depending on when I left the house, got into the office, got my coffee. Could have been anywhere between 5 and 30 minutes because I would leave the house earlier so as to not wake the family if school was off that day. I didn't care at that point. It never bothered me. They got free time for me, but again, I did not care because honestly, what else did I have to do? It was a great job until it wasn't. One weekend, I was working on some hardware maintenance, cleaning up wiring, ethernet plugs, installing a new UPS that took me the better part of Sunday to complete, six to eight hours. This was understood, approved in advance, and appreciated. The following week, I decided to start burning those extra hours up. I still came in early, as I'd done for years, but started leaving an hour early for my regular end time every day if nothing was going on. This is important. If something needed done, I got it done. I was reachable via email until early evening, and phone pretty much 24-7. This particular week was slow, so I had nothing going on. I left an hour early for the first four days. On Friday, my boss comes to me and gently says, People notice that you've been leaving early this week. I'd like you to make sure you stay in your office until the scheduled end of day in case someone needs you. I explained to him that I was burning up Lou days and he just reiterated that it looks bad to others. Seriously? You can't tell the others that I work my 40 hours a week just not at the same time as them? Fine, cue the malicious compliance. I immediately submitted four hours of overtime for the hours that I didn't take in lieu. I still showed up at the office at whatever time I got there, but didn't start any work until 8am. If asked, I would say, sure, 8am start time. If I got called outside of office hours, depending on how long I spent on the issue, I logged it as overtime. User calls me at 7pm to ask a question, I answer him in 30 seconds. One hour OT. When my boss then started to ask, how come you're submitting all of this overtime? I responded with a simple, some people don't understand or like me taking loo time, so I need to claim it as overtime since I'm at my desk from 8 to 4. Because I wasn't available at his beck and call, it ended up costing them more money. 95% of my job could be done from home because of full remote access, but that stupid old school mentality means that people in the office need to see you at your desk all day long. I left the company very shortly after that for a much better paying job with full work from home. Know your worth. As much as OP keeps reiterating, Well, what else was there to do? It was a good job. As much as OP's going to dig their heels in and defend that, I can't excuse just giving away free time every single day you work for these people. How many times does it ever work out in the end where you're like, I'm glad I did that? 
Our next story is, cops keep interrogating me on where I'm coming from? My pleasure. Disclaimer, I'm a woman and was polite otherwise. Your mileage may vary. When I was younger, I would visit natural parks. One time as I was driving home, a police officer pulled me over for alcohol testing. I politely complied, yet the officer must have thought I was peddling drugs or something because he asked for a further drug test and started interrogating me. I told him that I came from the natural park, yet he was asking me the same question on repeat. Finally, I kept a cordial demeanor, imagining myself as if I were talking to a co-worker, and with the appropriate delivery, I went on a long monologue on how I enjoyed visiting natural parks, which road I took there, where I stopped for petrol, how much I paid for petrol, where I parked, which track I walked on, when did I decide to turn back on the track, which birds I saw on the track, the weather at the park, and so on. Finally, after a minute, he told me to shush and then let me go after the drug test came clear. I think some cops would have gotten more angry by this behavior, but what worked for me was my genuine delivery. Your mileage definitely may vary. I think it's just a luck of the draw on the demeanor of the cop. I mean, the real bottom line is you should have said, am I being detained? Am I free to go? And I believe that should be just about all you need to say to them. I mean, if you're legally required to submit to whatever drug test, sure. But I probably wouldn't be chatting up a storm with them. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another awesome malicious compliance story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.